Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you'll remember, we left off with verse 19, and it said, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And then it says, And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And we taught on that a while and said that there's a twofoldedness in this. First of all, God's foundation stands sure, and the Lord knows the and there is, and then the second part of it, that everyone that names the name of Christ, or names uh, professes to be a Christian, if we put it that way, uh, let him depart from iniquity. So that's our part to do. Now then we pick up with verse 20. Notice it, it says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Now, he's already talked about a foundation in verse 19, and the foundation of God standing sure. We know that the church is built upon Christ as its foundation. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you'll find that it says in verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay, and that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the true foundation, Christ is, and he's the foundation of our salvation. He's the foundation of our faith. He is the foundation of the church, and he is the foundation of all Christ and him crucified, is the foundation of all gospel preaching. So we find in many ways that he is the true foundation. And so in 2 Timothy 2 verse 20, but in a great house, if we call that the church, and we know the church is a great house, it's spoken of in the Bible in the New Testament as the house of God, as the pillar and ground of the truth. But it says that in this great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. And Paul says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. This simile that Paul gives us here, purge ourselves from these, we'll have to consider some thoughts as to what the vessels of gold and silver are, and also what the vessels of wood and of earth, and also what the vessels of honor and of dishonor are. So we know that he has mentioned before in verse uh, 16 and 17, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So it appears that we're to purge ourselves from false doctrine and from false teachers as well. Separate ourselves from those. They certainly would be vessels of dishonor, but we don't want to carry the simile too far because we know that in a great house, let's consider it from a materialistic standpoint, that in a great house, if you have a great palace or a mansion or a great house of some sort, you'd have vessels in there that are maybe... If to hold flowers and are beautiful or made with extra trimmings and extra glaze or whatever to make them look real pretty. But you might have some common and ordinary vessels that were used for other purposes. So you would place more honor on those beautiful looking vessels than you would on the common and ordinary things. And I'm not sure that that's exactly what Paul is referring to, some to honor and some to dishonor some of great value and some of lesser value. But it does appear that we're to purge ourselves from some things that are less honorable 
It says in verse 21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, so that would mean to separate yourself from false teachers and false doctrine and cling to those things that are pleasing in God's sight. And you might be a vessel that is unto honor and sanctified and meet for the Master's use and prepared unto every good work. There's a lot of things you might, ramifications you might put into to what we're talking about here. But we know that we are taught in the general teaching of the Word of God to separate ourselves from false teachers. We know that we're also to separate ourselves from false teachings or doctrine. And we're also to stand for that which is true and earnestly contend for the faith. So there seems to be an indication that in order to be what God would prepare us for and use us for, we're going to have to be separated from evil and uh, and dedicated to good, whatever form that may take. And as I say, there's a lot of ramifications concerning these two verses. But let's notice verse 22. It says, Flee also youthful lust. There are other things that we need to flee and get away from. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, or love, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Youthful lust. It tells us what we're to flee from or to get away from and then what we're to follow. I have the word flee circled and also follow because some things are the negative side we're to not participate in and other things are the things we're to participate in and follow. Youthful lust can be usually classified as carnal pleasures or the sins of youth. And by the way, ambition and love of power are the sins of middle age. You know, as you grow older, you Lust for other things. Power and what? Ambition. And then covetousness and uh, carking cares, the crimes of the old age. So you have all, all of us to be concerned about, not only the sins of youth, but the sins of middle age and older age. And we find that this progresses along in a man's life. The sins of youth are usually those carnal pleasures. And then the ambition begins to come in and as a young person grows older and uh, ambition and love of power. You know, the love of power is a great sin as people begin to grow from the youth. They just want to be powerful and have everything going their way and ex- exercise all power against everything. That's You know, we have a, a uh, lust for power in the world today, all over the world, and that's why we have uh, so many wars and fightings. And uh, James says that from whence cometh wars among you, come they not even from your own lust? James, he tells us that this is where wars come from, that war in your members. When men begin to have a great uh, desire for more power and more power, we have that not only in uh, dictatorships, but we have it in our governments too. We have men get up there and they get pretty well set in in their uh, position as a senator or congressman or whatever, maybe a president or vice president. And the more power they get, the more they want. It's a tragedy of the whole world when men lust for that. By the way, it happens in churches too. It happens in churches. There'll be people that just want more power in the church. Run things everything their way. Well, we're, we're to discuss things and we're to vote on them and decide what is best and right and proper for the church is good. And if it doesn't please me, well, uh, I, I have no... I have to abide by it. If it doesn't please you, you abide by it. If you're what you ought to be, because we say 
most everyone wanted it that way. That doesn't mean that most everyone's always right. Sometimes the majority is not right. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't go by the majority. Because the majority rules. If we have the right kind of leadership as a pastor, and I trust that I'll try to meet up that, well, usually the church follows the leadership of the pastor. If he's right, and if he's doing the things in the right way. But he does, he's not to be a dictator. And the Bible tells us we're not to be dictators as under shepherds. Look in the book of First Peter, if you will. First Peter chapter 5. I want you to notice what it says. Verses 1 through 4. It says, Peter says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And he's given this charge to, to elders. He says, Feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight. Look at that, thereof. But he says, not by constraint, but willingly. And he says, not for filthy lucre. That's not just for a monetary gain. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither, look at verse 3, neither as very being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And so the preacher is to be an example to the flock. And it says, and when the chief shepherd, we're under shepherds, but when the chief shepherd shall appear... Ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So we're told there how to act as preachers. And certainly we should follow uh, those that admonition, as well as things that Paul said in First and Second Timothy uh, concerning those that are in charge of God's uh, Word. All right, let's get back to Second Timothy chapter 2. Hold your place. Always hold your place where we're studying. So it says in verse 22... Flee also youthful lust, but follow, what a, follow, follow righteousness, that's how we're to live. Faith, righteous life, a godly life. And he says faith, we're to live in faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We live according to God's word. And charity, which is a word in the New Testament uh, for love. And it says peace, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We not only need peace with God, but we need peace with one another. Paul says in another place, as much as, as in you, let us live peaceably, let's live peaceably with all men. As much as life in you. Now, there's some, some fellows you cannot live in peace with because they won't have your uh, willingness to live in peace. But as much as life in you, as much as is possible, live at peace. So let's make that a practice of our life. Notice it says, righteousness and it says faith, and it says love, and it says peace. With them, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now verse 23 says, But foolish and unlearned or unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Foolish and unlearned questions. You know, we deal with that all the time. Sometimes there are foolish questions put to us. There are sometimes questions without very much knowledge of of what God's Word says about the situation that people will put to you. If they had studied the Word, they wouldn't have had to ask you the question in the first place. Usually, they'd have the answer already. Remember, they tried to trip Jesus up and ask Him foolish questions. Let's turn, turn to Matthew chapter 22, I believe it is, and you'll find some places where they tried to trip up Jesus. Matthew 22, verse 15. Start there. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. See, there's always someone to, wanting to trick you up in your talk. 
Now look. And they sent out unto them, and they sent out unto him, their disciples, with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth, neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us therefore, here it is, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? They, remember their purpose was what? To entangle him in his talk. And they're trying to trick him to find out if he, he's going to, uh, willing to pay taxes and give tribute to, to Caesar and prove him to be an, uh, not a good citizen and one that's in opposition to the powers that be. And that didn't work because notice. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said... Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me a tr- the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. <clears throat> and he said unto them, He saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription that is on the penny? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. But he gives them something else. And unto God the things that are God's. You know why? Man has... Man is made in the image of God, isn't it? God has His image upon us. So we're to give ourselves to God. And the God, the things which are God's. They were not willing to do that. They were just tricking. trying. When they heard these words, they marveled and left them and went their way. The same day came uh, to him the Sadducees. Remember, in verse 15, that was the Pharisees. And then the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren. And they're making up this story, of course. And he says, And the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. She had seven husbands. It was about time, wasn't it? About time. It says, therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? The seven of the seven. For they all had her. Now, what they're saying, you see, the Sadducees didn't believe. It tells us that in verse 23, which say that there is no resurrection. Well, why ask him about a resurrection if you don't believe in the resurrection? You see, foolish and unlearned questions Paul tells Timothy to avoid. Jesus could answer them because he, he knew better. He knew how to answer them. Sometimes you and I cannot measure up to that standard. And uh, so we have problems answering some of the foolish questions. That's why Paul told Timothy to avoid them. Avoid. But look here. Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err. That means they missed the mark. Not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. He says, in two ways, in two things. You don't know anything about the Scriptures, which they profess to know. And you don't know anything about the power of God. Now look. Now, he, he deals with both of these issues. The Scriptures and the power of God. First of all, he deals deals with the power of God. For he says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, now he deals with their ignorance of the Scriptures. He says, Have you not read? Have you not read? That'd be a good place to stop, wouldn't it? Have you not read? Do you know anything about what's written in the the Bible? Have you not read that? Look, what, what is he going to refer to? That which was spoken unto you, by the way, because the Scripture's for us. It was for them as well. To you. He's talking to the Sadducees. But it was written way back there to Moses. But he says, uh, that which was spoken unto you by God. 
So it shows that all the Word of God is for all the people that will hear it. And he says, saying. Now look, verse 32. God said this, and Jesus is referring to it. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now then, if you go back and look when it was spoken in the book of uh, Exodus, when he spoke to Moses, I believe it's chapter 3, about verse 6, when God appeared to Moses, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. And Jesus said here that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So when, when God spoke to Moses, he was as much as saying that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were living. They were gone on to be with God. That they were not dead. Well, they had died a long time before. But God says here to these uh, Sadducees that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And he says, haven't you heard of what God said to Moses? Look back there in Exodus. I believe it's in chapter 3. Look in chapter 3. Okay, remember the incident at the bush? Verse 4. Let's read 4, 5, and 6. It says, And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, remember the burning bush, and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he, he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off the shoes from thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, Now look, this is what God said to Moses. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, uh, uh, thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So the time element in which God said this to Moses is very important. Because Jesus takes the same scripture and says that God uh, is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And he's showing these Sadducees over here who believed in no resurrection and no hereafter that God says you... Jesus says you missed the mark in two ways. You don't know anything about God's power in the resurrection to make you as the angels in heaven, for there they neither marry nor are given in marriage, and you don't know anything about the Scriptures because you couldn't understand what God was saying to Moses back there at the burning bush. Boy, I'll tell you, foolish and unlearned questions avoid, right? And he goes on to say, look, let's go on down with it. And when the multitude, you have... Uh, Matthew 22. You still have your place in Matthew 22? Okay, look in Matthew 22, and we'll pick up with verse 33. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine, what he taught. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, see, the Pharisees were first put to silence, weren't they? And now he put the Sadducees to silence. They were gathered together. They said, well, we'll just gang up on him. They were gathered together. And look what it says. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, this fellow he got enough nerve to really he, he got enough nerve to really face face up to him, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, It's still tempting Jesus. Now look, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying that all the law is included in love to God and love to man. And if you notice, when you read the law, the Ten Commandments, the first four pertain to man's relationship with man. Right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and etc. And then the last six pertain to man's 
relationship to man, not man's relationship to God, especially. Of course, all of it's related to God, but specifically how we deal with man. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not uh, bear false witness, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet. All these have to do with our relationship with one another. So, he says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So the first four show our relationship to God. The last six show our relationship to man. Of course, all of them are before God, and all of them are His commandments. So he says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He says, that's what the prophets enforce, too, by the, their prophecies and their preaching. Now then, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them. Now, see, it's now Jesus says, now my turn. See, the Pharisees had first sought out to tempt him. Then the, then the Sadducees had tried their best. And then they got together and they appointed this lawyer to do what he could do. And he failed. So now Jesus says, my turn to ask a question. He says, uh, what think ye of Christ? This is what he asked them. Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. Well, he was the son of David. But look, he saith unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying... The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. How is it that David said that? The Lord said unto my Lord. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? He was both David's Lord and David's son. They couldn't explain that. And the Bible tells us that he's the son of David according to the flesh. But he's the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You'll find that in Romans chapter 1. Verse 3 and 4. Remember the two very important verses. Romans 1, 3 and 4. It shows the manhood of Christ and the deity of Christ. Son of David, made of the seed of David according to the flesh. And it says, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So, here, notice. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man, look here. And no man was able to answer him a word. They couldn't understand that. You and I can understand it nowadays because we have a, a complete revelation. We have the fact that we know that Christ was made of the seed of David. And we have the fact that we know he's the Son of God. And therefore, he would be not only David's Lord, but our Lord. So he says, Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. It's time to quit asking when you get defeated that many times. Now, back in Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, <coughs> And Paul tells Timothy then, in verse uh, uh, 23, that's what we're studying. He says, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid. He tells Timothy to avoid them. By the way, that's good, that's good uh, exhortation and instruction to you and I. When someone wants to ask you a foolish question about the Bible, it's better if we just avoid it. Some questions are worthy of our answer if they're really... Ask in the right way, and someone wants to know something to better themselves and to know more about the Scriptures. But you see, a lot of people do not do that. There are some people that ask you questions to try to trip you up. For instance, the old thing that people ask, where did Cain get his wife? You know, there was Cain and Abel. You're not told about anyone else. They say, where did Cain get his wife? Well, it says he went over into the land of Nod and married her. That's what it tells us. And got him a wife. And they will say, where'd she come from? Well, if, if all the children that were born came from Adam and Eve, she had to be a sister or nephew, a niece or some of the, some of the uh, family on down the line because that's all they could do at, at early stages of civilization was to marry, intermarry. Then later it became uh, more 
evident that you were to marry out of various other in other ways. But anyway, that's a question that's asked a lot of preachers sometimes. Where did Cain get his wife? By the time that Cain was marriageable age, and you know they lived a long time in those days, there could have been thousands of offspring. And so we don't have to know just exactly who it was, but we know the Bible says he went over to the land of Nod. Evidently, they had already dispersed a great deal by the time he got married. And so he went over and he got him a wife. All right, back to this. So, foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. By the way, you and I don't always have the answers. When someone asks you a question like that, they're just asking it to try to trip you up and say, well, you know, the Bible must not be true. There must have been other people besides Adam and Eve, or they speculate on all kinds of things, but they don't have any proof of it. You've got more proof that Adam and Eve... They got sons and daughters than you than they do of some ridiculous story they might want to make up. So anyway, you don't have to you don't have to answer everyone's question, and you don't have to know everything because we don't know everything. We just as well admit that right offhand. If we knew everything, we could tell everything, couldn't we? But we're uh, uh, Paul said, uh, Paul or Peter one said in the book of Acts, we speak those things that we have seen and have heard. I believe it was Paul. Uh, I could be mistaken about that, but it's one in the book of Acts. And you'll find that, that that's what we speak. We speak what we have heard and believed, and we pass that on to someone else. Not what we do not know. How can we tell something we don't know? So, let's follow the Scripture. Now, look, look at the next verse you have Second Timothy chapter 2. Look at it. We'll follow it on down. It says, well, we must connect verse 23 with 24. Look, we have to read verse 23 to get the connection. It says, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. Now look, verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. And it goes on. So, we don't, if we have things that gender strife, we want to stay out of that. You know, I'll walk a half a mile to get away with, from an argument with someone. I'll walk plumb around the block and leave him on the other side rather than to argue with some guy. I don't like arguments. I don't like disputings. I don't like troubles. You say, well, you're going to have them anyway. Well, you have enough without uh, looking for them. Yeah, that's a good word. So, why do we uh, try to face up with someone when we know that all they want is to argue and debate? And you have a lot of different cults round about you. You know uh, that false religions that want to argue with you about something in the Bible. And you need to know where you stand what you believe so that you won't have to argue with them. Say, I just uh, rather not talk about that. Because you're not going to win an argument. An argument's where people just keep on fussing with one another and debating with one another and both go, go away displeased and dissatisfied. Now, if someone wants a discussion, that's different. A discussion is different than an argument. And it's different than a debate. If we want to discuss a certain subject in the Bible, that's great. Because the input of others helps us better to understand if we want to discuss it. But we don't need to argue about it. I've never found where uh, debates help very many people. 
And uh, it tells us that that's one of the evil things here too to deal with. In, not right here in this context, but in other passages where it genders those things. Look, it says, In meekness, first of all, verse 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive. What is he to do other than that? It says, But to be gentle unto all men. To be gentle, that means kind. Apt to teach. He's supposed to have the ability to teach. And then it says patient. How many of us have learned to be patient? Patience is is something that's of a great virtue, isn't it? And the Bible says, Tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience and experience hope. So we need to learn to be patient. James speaks a lot about being patient. He tells us to be patient under the coming of the Lord. He tells us that in trials we need to have patience. Look in the book of James, chapter 1. James chapter 1. He says in verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, or trials, or testings, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. When your faith is tested, and when it's tried, it worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Then it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And certainly we need to ask of God for wisdom, do we not? And it says, Who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. So, if we lack wisdom, we're to ask of God. Remember Solomon when he first was uh, to sit upon the throne? And Solomon went to God in prayer and he says, God, I'm but a child, a full-grown man, mature man. But he says, I'm but a child. I don't know how to lead this so great a people as you've given him. The, the whole nation, the whole people. And he asked for wisdom and understanding. And God said to Solomon, because you've not asked for riches and uh, power and a lot of other things, but because you've asked for wisdom, I'm not only going to give you wisdom and understanding, but I'm going to give you riches and and wealth, and and power. And he gave him far more than he asked for. But Solomon's concern was that he wanted God's wisdom so he could guide the people. And you know, as pastors, we need to pray for God's wisdom to guide the people. And I ask for it quite often myself. And the deacons, the men of the church, we need God's wisdom. You know, the Bible tells us, and it shows where that we need Wisdom to lead God's people. But it says, Brethren, that's not just the preacher, but brethren, if any man be overtaken, if any of you be overtaken in a fall, I believe it's Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, if any man be overtaken in a fall, he says, now listen carefully, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So what does it say there? It says, if a brother is overtaken in a fall, Those that are spiritual. So, uh, it shows that all the others of the church, besides the pastor, the brethren, the deacons, and the trustees, and the leaders, they have to ask for wisdom in order to be spiritual. The trouble is, a lot of times we find a lack of those that are spiritual to restore such a one, do we not? But it says, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Why? Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Galatians 6, I believe is where it is. You can look it up. Begin with verse 1 on down. So, what do we find here now? Back in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says in verse 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach, and patient. It says, now look in verse 25, In meekness 
instructing those that oppose themselves. People that oppose themselves are basically opposing God, too. They oppose themselves because they haven't been brought to a surrender of the knowledge of the truth. Because it says in the next part of verse 25, If peradventure God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So you see, they not only oppose themselves, but they oppose the truth. And God needs to, we need to deal with them in patience so that God will give them repentance so that they will acknowledge the truth or be converted or be turned from whatever thing that's uh, causing them to be divided. And that, look, verse 26, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, the snare, trap of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. We've given you this before. Look at that word, taken captive. It means to catch men alive or taken alive. The devil is out to take men alive, take their souls to himself at his will. He wants to captivate men. And I gave you one more verse in times past, I'm sure if you still have it marked, I'll give it to you again. But it's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, and verse 10. Well, let's read verse 9 and 10. It says, For he was astonished, this is Simon Peter, and all that were with him at the great draft of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus, now here you have the point I want to make. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. You see that word, catch men? That's the same word is over there when the devil wants to catch men alive. It means catch men alive. And by the way, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 26, taken alive by the devil is the only other place in the New Testament where this word, this exact word, is used. So, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. So, just as sure as the devil takes men, 2 Timothy 2, verse 26, just as sure as that's his business and his priority, it should be our business to catch men. He says, from henceforth thou shalt catch men, be fishers of men. And that's what we're to be about doing. That's what the apostles were to be about doing. So, and we've got a battle on our hands because the devil is ever busy about what he wants to do. And you and I sometimes are lax at what we should be doing. God forgive us for not being more active. We ought to have, take the advantage of every opportunity that we have to preach and teach to men and women, boys and girls. To give our witness. Not just from the pulpit in the church, which is one way, but as we go out in the public, as we visit with people, we come in contact with them. Certainly, the church is a place where we preach the Word of God and teach the Word of God. And by the way, the instructions we received even tonight should encourage all of us to be about our business. To be about our business. What is our business? Is it just the preacher's business to catch men or to be fishers of men? Or is it all of us? It's all of us, isn't it? It's every one of us. See, we don't excuse ourselves and say, I'm going to leave that up to the pastor. Well, say, well, I'll broaden that a little. Now, I'll leave it up to the pastor and, and a few of the deacons. What about the teachers? What about the, what about the uh, laymen and laywomen? What about your business? If you're saved, do you know you're not just saved for nothing? You're saved to serve. Everyone that's saved is saved to serve. We're all to be serving God. Remember the disciples, they came to Jesus and said, Whither is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or 
or the one that serves? Jesus said, they said, of course, he that sitteth at meat. They answered the question. The one that sits at meat is what Jesus was asking them, which is greater. And then Jesus said, but I am among you as the one that serveth. Now, if Jesus was among us as one that serves, certainly we should take our place, shouldn't we? And I think it would be an encouragement for all of us to serve. Remember when the fig tree wouldn't bring forth any fruit? And Jesus said, uh, the, the other said, said, let it, Lord, Lord, let it, he's the master of the vineyard, says, let it alone for another year and we'll dig about it and we'll fertilize it. And then if it doesn't bear fruit, well then what we'll do, well, you can cut it down then. But for the plead of the caretaker of the vineyard, he said, let it alone for another year. And so I have a message on spared for another year. Maybe we're just spared for another year. We've got another year coming. But I don't think that'll be my sermon. But anyway, I thought I'd just throw it in there. I've got another sermon I want to preach. But I thought I'd preach it anyway tonight and, and get it in there. I've got another one I want to preach in the book of Philippians, I believe. But anyway, and you'll probably figure that one out before I get through but anyway, we're, we're to be about the business that we're supposed to be in. We'll have to conclude there, and we'll pick up with chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, in our next lesson. And we do thank you for your patience and your kind attention to what we have said. 